You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Steven Soderbergh presents the Limey Informant. week adam thomas and thomas mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature then both will have to pick a number between one and ten or to seal their fates for the next episode one will have two good movies the other two bad ones let the chaos begin i am adam thomas and tell him i'm coming and i'm thomas mariani and adam there's uh, just one thing i didn't quite understand there that's every motherfucking thing you just said <laughs> I love Bill Duke so much. <laughs> it's weird. This is the second week in a row where we're covering a revenge movie that features Bill Duke in a small role. We gotta do Commando next week somehow. <laughs> to complete the trilogy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> complete the entire trilogy. Oh, and over there is a person who I'm sure isn't wearing a wire. Or he should be because he's recording a podcast. He should probably have some kind of recording equipment on him. It's Tori Davina. Tori, welcome back. Hey, glad to be back. How you guys doing? Uh, uh we're, we're, we're fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> as good as uh, hey, we're we're into the new year, seven days in, nothing bad has happened, right? Nope. <laughs> it spread sunshine all over the place. That's what's going on. There here. we go. Yes, <laughs> yes. But we are here to talk about um, not the depressing state of what's going on right now, but about um, two films that we picked at the end of our last episode, given the double edge, double bill of it all the topic for this week because uh this week we're releasing this is going to be the birthday of steven soderbergh we're talking about steven soderbergh movies which we've talked about at least one directed soderbergh movie before with haywire and we talked about oceans 8 previously which he produced um but soderbergh is so interesting a filmmaker which is why i really wanted to cover him on the show because it's such a prolific career but also such a very diverse career is that why you wanted to come on for this one tori he's 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 kind of like i don't want to say he's like a wild card but um i don't know i i've i've never known a guy to have this like diverse skill set where it's like one minute he's making this like art housey weird crime gangster film like we saw like one of our two choices today or you know the oceans trilogy magic mike he has like a signature flair but it's almost like his signature flair is like hiding his signature flair it's it's weird. I don't I don't I don't know how else to describe it. He, he's truly the Charlie Day, and it's always sunny at filmmakers. He's a wild card. <laughs> yeah, is... there we go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what he does. Uh, what about you, Adam? Are you a fan? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, I like Soderbergh movies. But he's not one of my favorites, but that's just because I I don't think I'm as well versed in Soderbergh films as I probably should be. I mean, I've seen most of them all, but I've seen them once. I never really like studied them or sort of dissected them before. So, I mean, yeah, I like the guy enough. He's all right. Hey, you know, fuck him. Well, don't get too excited. Calm down. We just yeah, got two, thir- two thirds of us are on the same page when it comes to that, because uh, that's why I kind of just kind of bullshitted my intro there, because I was just like, uh, uh, I've seen like five movies. <laughs> oh, well, well. Oh, you're a filthy liar. 
At least I was honest. <laughs> hey, just like, hey, I, I, I basically just did with uh, the main character of one of our two uh, films that we saw today. So, hey, he's a master of bullshit, and that's what I did. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll at least say that um, I had seen, like, lesser sort of movies before we started this, and per my usual thing with the show, I'm like, hmm, I should watch more of, like, uh, the movies related to whatever topic we're doing, and I over-research and just, like, go deep into, in this case, Soderbergh's filmography. And what's so interesting is I think, Tori, despite uh, you you know, sitting on a throne of lies with what you just said earlier in your intro, um, it is pretty accurate about Soderbergh just in terms of, like, he has such a weird uh, sort of proclivity and prolificness for directing movies. He started his career with, obviously, like, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which kind of helped start the indie boom of the 90s. And then in the 2000s, he kind of started transitioning into more mainstream features. And then by the time we get to, like, his weird kind of I'm-gonna-retire phase in, like, the early 2010s, he starts realizing, well, I could do TV, and then I could also just go ahead and start shooting movies, but on an iPhone. So the dude, I think, is one of the rare guys who's constantly innovating. Even now, he's, like, pushing 60. Dude is one of the few guys that kind of knows where the film industry's going, I think. Even to a point where I think it was around Unsane. When that wasn't doing that well in theaters, he was like, I, I know a movie's not doing well by, like, Friday night. I wish there was a button I could just push, and it's like, by Monday it's on Netflix or whatever. Because, like, there's no point in wasting space with, like, a movie that's going to play for, like, two weeks. No one's going to fucking see it. Which, which is true, because, I mean, but I mean, I'm saying it was, like, filmed for nothing. So I, I, I was under the impression that it actually, like, made money. But obviously, like, it, when I looked it up, it was, like, obviously not enough. But he seems to me that every film he does... He strives to like go with this like I don't know it's like he wants to make a big movie but he wants to do it as like minimalist as possible if that makes any fucking sense it's it's weird which is like you know I I can commend that just off like uh the the theme alone I guess or or whatever because I mean like I said Unsane's a really good film I I really like that and shooting it on an iPhone like <laughs> like this is a Hollywood production I'm gonna shoot it on an iPhone for like two million dollars and push it in theaters you know it's like it, that's that's insane to me. Right, and you and you never know what the next step is going to be with him, because it's like you mentioned, it, the weird thing where it's like, one of our movies is like a small revenge movie, which he followed up with both Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, two major Oscar contenders in like 2000, and then he does like Ocean's Eleven, this like fun, over-the-top, kind of like heist movie, and then Solaris? Mm. Like, <laughs> it's this weird, just like, I, I don't know, I'm just going where the wind takes me. And I can respect that even if, like, I would say also, despite, like, that kind of, like, weird structure of it, of his career, um, I would say he has more hits than misses from what I've seen. There's only a few oh, that I would say would be bad to me. Yeah, like, Ocean's 12. Like, that's kind of, like, my big one as far as, like, his blunders. It's just this really, it, it, it was just like, oh, you know, you, you might have thought Ocean's 11 was pretentious, but uh, <laughs> you have seen nothing as far as how my pretentiousness will go with this one. I, I think the only thing I remember that movie being clever about was, uh, oh, um, you look like Julia Roberts. So we're going to have you pretend to be Julia Roberts. Oh, literally the, like, worst, <laughs> the worst scene in the whole movie. The worst exactly. sequence in the whole thing. Oh. It's entertaining, though, even though it's so bad. <laughs> Vincent Cassell breakdancing through laser lights was entertaining. That that too. That yeah. too. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Um, but uh, we're not talking about any of those specific movies this week. Uh, we're talking about two movies that, as I mentioned, we picked at the end of our last show randomly. And uh, we ended up getting, for our good pick, uh, my choice of The Limey, his 1999 film. And then uh, 10 years later, we get our bad choice that Adam picked, which was The Informant. So we'll be going in chronological order. And let's go ahead and start off then with The Limey. 
My name's Wilson. You wrote me about my daughter. This bloke she was bunked up with. Terry Valentine. What's he got to say for himself? You tell him! You tell him I'm coming! Tell him I'm coming! So The Lie to Me came out, as I mentioned, in 1999, um, on October 8th, 1999, as directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Lem Dobbs, who he's collaborated with a couple times, and stars Terrence Stamp, and uh, this is one, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people would really remember because it wasn't very successful at the time it came out in 1999, very crowded year, obviously. I would say, and I believe from uh, what was indicated at the end of our last episode, Adam would agree, uh, this is a very underrated gem. Oh, yeah, dude, definitely. Back in the day, like, the videos that had come out, you know, whether they released by, like, Artisan or something like that, they'd always run the same trailers before the movies, like, for every movie you rented or bought, and this was one of those trailers that was on every single fucking movie. So that's how I heard about it. I'm like, well, this looks pretty cool. That fucking General Zod going Cockney, I'm down for that. And, uh, yeah, I really, really dug it, and it features a I Can Stand Peter Fonda as well, so... Uh, only in this role. But still, yeah, I, I think this is absolutely just a underseen, underrated gem of a film. Well, uh, Tori, I'm curious, had you heard or seen this one before uh, we gave it to you for the show? No, absolutely not. I just heard about it this week, honestly, when you had told me about uh, the, what the episode was going to be. I really liked it. Couldn't believe it was like only like 90 minutes, like hour and a half, but it had so much in it. For some reason, I got the same vibe out of this movie that I got watching the Nicolas Cage Bad Lieutenant film, where it's just like the story is obviously not this like world beating story of something that you've never seen before. But the way it's shot is something that it, it really hasn't been shot like before. So I really like the style. Acting is concerned. For some reason, Terrence Stamp kind of threw me off a couple of times when he was delivering lines. I kind of got a like the I'm coming line kind of. I don't know if that was trying to be comical or not, or if he was just chewing the scenery for that one moment. But as far as like the acting performances, they're really consistent. Like this isn't just like some shoot 'em up, you know, like it slowly builds up to these scenes of like um, it, it, when like the chase scene that happens between um, I, I forgot the actor's name, the one who's basically like Peter Fonda's henchman, like head henchman. I, I forgot the actor's name right now off the top of my head. But um, like that chase scene is not really like over the top crazy. It kind of feels like what a real chase scene would be. It was an ordinary crime story, but it wasn't shot in an ordinary fashion. And that's what grabbed my eye watching it. And I just thought to myself the entire time, like, I can't believe I never heard of this. This is this is the kind of crime film that's up my alley. Uh, it's unique in how it's shot. I would say even unique in how it's acted. Um, and it's like a, it's just a straight slow burn, you know, and, and I really appreciate it for that. Yeah, I think the closest thing I would probably compare to in terms of another movie is one we've covered for the show and we both also love is uh, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. It has a lot of yes. the same kind of like. Um, underplayed kind of version of a uh, like noir movie. I'd say it's accurate with a lot of like the voiceover and the repeating voiceover lines several times and things like that. Or I'd say it's very, very close in, um, if not tone, even design of Ghost Dog. Yeah. And by the way, you were referring to Barry Newman. Who Barry is, Newman. Okay. Yeah, the right hand man of Peter Fonda, which I think it's also to add to what you're talking about. I love the cast of this movie. It's such a like bunch of great like character actory people you would recognize, like Terrence Stamp, of course, being the lead. Uh, but even like Luis Guzman, who's always fun to see in a character actor kind of 
persona or um, Lizanne Warren or Peter Fonda even. I think it has like this great mix of like interesting faces that feels like it would be natural to like going to LA in the late 90s and finding either like burnouts or people who are just trying to chill live their you know lives in the middle of all this um and i think it, it really stands to especially terrence stamp who before this as adam mentioned you would know as like general zod in the superman movies amongst other things you would see his face or of course in the the star wars uh, in um in phantom menace <laughs> when he just shows up to give like yeah, that's right. exposition and shit <laughs> um and so like he's been like a character actor for a while um but i love him in this movie because this movie kind of feels like it's the best version of a death wish movie to me which is to say the revenge doesn't actually result in much of anything and this guy is still ultimately alone and sad by the end of it and i think that's the perfect way for it to go don't talk uh, shit. yeah don't, yeah. don't talk shit about death wish watch it <laughs> <laughs> think about it if it was charles bronson trying to deliver these lines tell about coming He's got a wish. Um, Especially but, uh, if he tries a Cockney accent. Yeah. Hey, hey, you better tell him I'm coming. <laughs> right, yeah. right for sure. Uh, no, I, I agree with Tori, too, actually. The first time I saw this, um, I was a little bit sort of thrown by Terrence Stamp the very first time I saw this movie because he is sort of uh, chewing up the scenery a lot, it, it, especially the I'm coming scene and stuff like that. But other than that scene, most of his stuff is very dry and wooden. Like, it, but it, on purpose, that's the point of the character. And at first time, I don't think I recognize that. But other than that, he doesn't do a whole crazy lot of emoting, um, especially with his face, his face and stuff like that. He's really sort of cold and calculating and, and sort of to the point the whole time. And uh, I, I think he's, he works really well in this. And he's so intimidating, especially being an older guy with this like white, barely there hair and these crystal blue eyes. But you believe instantly like oh no he's the toughest guy maybe in the room right now if not the whole city of los angeles like he's he's incredibly intimidating and scary even when he does his little walk which i love when he's right before the i'm coming bit which is like ugh, like his fucking shoulders are going back and forth and shit yep i i like that part but i really gotta say man i really like peter fonda in this movie man uh as this sort of burned out you know still loves the sixties and idolizes specifically two years of the sixties still. And he's sort of in over his head with all these criminal dealings and stuff. And he's just all about, you know, Hey man, I just want to sort of get by like, and he's really good in it. Like he, you totally believe a, why, why these younger women would be into him. Uh, not only because of the money, but sort of the, the way he is and the way his attitude is and the way he approaches things. But you also, it totally makes sense. Like, she was going to call the fucking cops. What was he going to do? Like, he's just a total pansy, too. And it totally works for me in this movie with him. Uh, but I, I really don't fucking like him. And uh, he's really good in this. I can get behind him in this. I think it's because it feels like it's the least amount of acting needed for it's Peter him. Fonte. Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just big him. Yeah, that's true, man. Oh, yeah, I always hit this deer. Oh, have I told you this story? No, uh, yeah, but you can tell it again. You're so nice. Like, oh, this fucking gross, leather-skinned... Okay, especially the intro to his character being the bit where he's talking to his younger lover, and he just mentions right off the bat, like, you know, when your parents were asking about a name, I'm like, oh, oh. I know, son of a bitch, oh, this is so creepy. (laughs) He's banging his friend's, like, 20-year-old daughter uh, that he recommended the name for. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's so nasty. Uh, uh, but but how do you feel about uh, Stamp and Fonda, Tori? I think Adam kind of just took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I mentioned earlier, like, the scenes where he needed to be intense. Surprised that Peter Fonda, that they would have, like, such a, a, a pathetic like villain it, it kind of made me wonder this entire time like how the fuck did this guy rise to power in the first place he's so fucking like he's just gross he's just pathetic it, you know it seems to me if anybody it's it's uh um barry newman's character uh, i think his character's name is jim like jim seemed like i would have thought for a second he was like when they first focused to him after the i'm coming scene i'm thinking oh this must be the 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 guy that Terrence Stamp's going to go after, clearly look at him. He's evil. But then it just paints to this guy who's like having a panic attack mid-conversation. Like this, this link, this being linked to me, this being linked to me. I don't want to bother with it. I have, I, I have a 20 year old that I suggested my best friend to name that I'm going to have a sexual relationship with. And I'm like, this is the fucking villain. And, um, it, it but it plays well to like the film strength of, um, you know, like you said before, like the theme of revenge, not really being, uh, something satisfying because you know like when he when it gets to that point in the climax it's like wow you just you know you thought he was pathetic but man he's really fucking pathetic as far as a villain is concerned but he plays it well you know as far as like uh stamp goes i mean like you said he's he's cold he's calculating and the thing about that throws me off about it necessarily being sad i didn't really didn't get the whole thing of sadness I kind of like um, got a whole thing of like, yeah, he gets what's going on, but like so many things or so many like situations he's in throughout the entire movie, he he literally just shrugs it off and goes, oh, okay, and then just you know kind of moves on and just keeps it inside and keeps it to himself, and that to me is like kind of like the real tragedy of like you know his character. It's not necessarily that he's just like you know this dude who's just like even after he gets his revenge, supposedly you know I guess like closest that you can get to his revenge. You know, the way he kind of just like goes about it, it kind of feels like how he goes about a lot of things throughout the movie, you know, like like he doesn't really like wear it out. You know, he, he like I think the thing with his character is that he just it just he keeps inside everything he does, you know, and it's just like, oh, all right, I guess it's on to my uh, next job or on to the next step that I need to do in my life, you know. Well, well, right. But I think that's the thing is that there's a real sadness that I think comes from one. It's a stamp sort of like performance of like especially whenever he's talking about his daughter and how much of like, oh, I remember the, you know, the fun game that we had where she was a little girl and she kept saying she'd call the cops if I try to pull another job. Like, that's the happy memory. The sadness is really coming from just the fact that he's looking back on his life and he's like this determined cold killer, but he doesn't have like anything else. Like, there's even that great bit I love where Louis Guzman is just like driving him and the casual conversation is like, hey man, you have any friends? Like, that's that's the big sort of, like, connecting moment is him talking about just, like, hey, do you have any, like, connection? I think a lot of that comes from the weird editing style, which was not intended originally. Soderbergh originally wanted to play this out like a straight, you know, movie, like, chronologically and linearly. And he played it that way, like, when he presented the original cut, and he agreed to everyone else agreed, like, oh, this is a terrible cut, it's not going to work. So he, like, worked for months with the editor to like really restructure the whole movie and it becomes more of like this weird memory based editing that I think really works for it because I think it's kind of doing the sadness that I'm talking about. It's a lot of him reflecting like you see shots of him like on the airplane flight back or even like moments after a scene that we see play out in full just right after a shot like that. Um, it, it shows so much of like it's him looking back at these moments and kind of just realizing like oh, I found, like, some kind of, like, friend connection with, like, a Luis Guzman, Leslie Ann Warren, but that's completely lost to me now because I'm so hell-bent on this mission. And when he ultimately culminates in that mission, he just realizes, like, oh, wait, that's not going to really solve anything. 
And whatever, like, solace he gets is just like, I'm not going to kill this one guy I went after this whole time. <laughs> and that's his solace. And I think that works so well for his character. That's like, that's his idea of progression and growth. It's like, I'm not going to kill this one guy, even though I killed a lot of people along the way to get here. I don't know. It's like, I, I kind of got that. I got that, honestly, like, from, from how you're describing it. Like, yeah, I did get that vibe, but I also got that vibe that he's probably just going to go back to the UK and still continue on as being this cold-blooded killer because you know what else does he have right that's the sadness that's what i'm talking about that's his sadness that's that's what i'm saying yeah exactly you know what i mean but like i don't know maybe because like the editing was always like the way the film's edited i don't want to say that it kind of like robs the emotional weight of his character but it it, kind of maybe maybe it's just my stupid dumb add brain that's like not processing it right um but i'm like it kind of distracts me (laughs) a little bit in a good way like i'm not saying that it's like it's a bad thing but it does kind of distract it does kind of i think pull away a little bit from the emotional weight of his character just just at least in my opinion How, how do you feel about the editing adam i get where tori's coming from again now we're going back to when i very first saw this i thought it was a little jarring and things like that i think it's pretty good man i think it's cool i think it's a unique way of telling this story um about this sort of sad lonely old man who's gotten knows nothing but crime and uh i think it works perfectly and i really do love the cuts of the old terrence stamp movie and they work seamlessly uh you totally believe that that's the same character from this movie the sort of remembering cuts and flashbacks and the voiceover work it's sort of it feels like maybe even the character uh wilson sort of last ditch effort to maybe even hold on to these memories or to try to preserve them in a different way than they actually are. Like you said, he, his happiest memory is his daughter constantly crying about him being a criminal and threatening to call the cops. And he just thinks it's so fucking sweet and cute. It's, it's really sad and kind of pathetic. And uh, yeah, to me, I, I, I really do enjoy the editing of this. Uh, it doesn't bother me now. But yeah, when I first saw it, it was definitely a little jarring. I will agree with that. Yeah, but I think it, it does really work to kind of, like, immerse you sort of in his mindset to where it's like, I agree. I don't think he realizes this entire thing is kind of sad. There's a sadness to him about, no. like, my daughter died. But also he doesn't quite realize that, like, oh, he's living this life that's so, like, completely kind of empty and meaningless. Even talking about, like, oh, yeah, I once had some friends, and then some of them died, and some of them I found out they weren't really friends. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The thing is, too, it's not even him being sad because his daughter's dead. He doesn't really mourn her really the whole time the the whole point of the movie is just to find out what happened to her and get the people that did there's no real mourning scene in this movie you never see him break down and cry or get sad like ever except when he's telling that story uh but Ernest, yeah you never get the even sense idea and he kind of even kind of even alludes to it like you know i was never really a dad to her she didn't really know me and blah 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 it's a revenge tale at its pure and simple base someone wronged him in a way because they hurt somebody that he's directly sort of related to. So therefore he has to take them out and take care of it uh, because it, it's in some way intrinsically tied to him. I never once really got the feeling that there was a real sense of father daughter love in the movie at all. Like I said, it's more or less what these people did to him, not even necessarily to her. It's a, it's a very stripped down kind of revenge thriller in a way that allows for a lot more room to like kind of explore the characters in a way that really works, I think is really essential to Soderbergh. I think that's what really 
sort of he brings to this kind of a story, especially with, you know, stuff like even Peter Fonda, like the few character moments we get of him are like, oh yeah, this, our evil big bad is just this like kind of slimy former music producer piece of shit who lives on a fucking beach. And I think that stripped down, this also works even for like some of the action beats we do get, like the tell him I'm coming scene, which is like, I think this very quiet, but like really like, intense kind of moment of actual like violent outburst or even later on when he's at peter fonda's uh party that he's having and there's like the shots we get of like peter fonda getting shot and the fantasy shots of that and then also later on the the bit where he fucking throws that dude over the railing and it's just so matter of fact i think that's what makes it kind of like darkly comic but also very intimidating from like a stamp is that he just does this so quickly and doesn't even think about it I would say that's uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I guess the, the the what I should say is when it comes to his character is that, you know, you know, like you never really get that sense that he's mourning, but maybe you know, in a way, I think the moments that you do see where he's like having these imaginations of, uh, of murdering Peter Fonda, those are like the closest that we will get to like any sort of like I want to say beyond the besides the story, like an emotional response to you know somebody who had wronged him. I think Soderbergh does a good job at immersing you into like the landscape and the surroundings and the like, you know, the the the, the cinematography. Like he he immerses you into this world, but I don't think like it's it, maybe it's not supposed to immerse me really into this character. You're, you're you're just sort of just watching this shit sort of culminate into you know how it ends or whatever. And it's just like and and, and that's not I'm not I, it sounds like it's a complaint, but it really isn't. Like that's the thing. Like I, I view like Stamps' character as being pretty amoral, no different than I would the movie A Prophet, which is like a French crime film. You know, it's kind of like an amoral following of this character. You know, he's not just inherently good, you know, but I mean you're still kind of following his story anyway. And everything else just comes together in a way where it's like you're still getting something that's entertaining. You're still getting a great story being told to you, but you're not really getting a, a, a good glimpse really of like the character himself. Like, cause like Adam said, you're not really getting that period of mourning with Terrence stamp. It's just, I'm here. I'm going to get revenge. These people wronged me and, and that's it. And to me, that's, you know, that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? But so I could see somebody who would probably want a little bit more seeing that as like a detriment. You know, that's just at least for me watching it from the from the time I watched well, it, you know, I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying in a way. But the thing is, you got to figure most major sort of crime heist, whatever you want to call them, mafia movies, not most, if not. God, what? At least 75 percent of them, the main character is not redeemable. You follow a piece of shit. I mean, you can go down the list. You can go Goodfellas, Casino, Heat. I mean, there's just constant these characters who, if not, are completely morally bankrupt. They live right in the gray. This one, I, I, it's a, it is different. It's of a different ilk. I mean, it's the same sort of idea as that, but it is definitely of a different ilk because it's not super flashy and it's not look how much shit he's getting from pulling these crimes and the money he's getting and all this stuff. It's a very quietly told, briskly told little sort of revenge film which ultimately he doesn't even get his revenge in a way i mean he does in a way but not in the way that he sort of fantasized about doing the whole time and it's populated with all these weird art house movie characters like nicky cat and his his buddy has the I, I wanted to say i fucking love nicky cat so much he's this little piece of he's shit so room. good in this <laughs> he, is, he is fantastic he's on screen i i honestly wish i could have got a little a uh, little more of him um because he just had like he, he just he just popped like anytime he was on screen mm-hmm. his performance it was just um yeah. Which is... Yeah, they really, they really need that. You better hurry up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <a> douchebag. 
Or even just, like, his power trip is getting his buddy to, like, break at a fucking dive bar for pool. Like, it's such a sad fucking... Like, once again, all, all these people... It's like Adam kind of mentioned, like, this whole, like, revenge plot is teeming with, like, the lowest level possible scum criminals in L.A. To the point where, like, I, we don't even see any cops. Like... The cops don't even give a shit. This is how low stakes and pathetic this is of like a fucking crime ring, quote unquote. With like, yeah, you get, you get what the DEA at one point, yeah, real quick, and that's it. But even then, though, are those fucking are they on the take? Probably, just because the way their whole operation's going, you got you got the feeling they're they're maybe into some illegal shit too. Bill Duke, I think, is my favorite of any of the small people in this movie. Just one fucking scene, and he owns it. Especially, just like, oops. Ergo, my slippery fingers again. <laughs> Just throws in the fucking folder. That, that was amazing. Crazy. That was like a classic whole, one right there. That whole crazy fucking speech Terrence Stamp walks in and just delivers. You're like, this is, that to me is my favorite scene of Terrence Stamp in the movie for sure. Because you're like, he's just so full of shit. Just in there, he's just trying to shine this guy on. And this guy is so much more big time than him. But I love also just, once again, I, I said that line at the beginning. Bill Duke's reaction is one of my favorite lines, I think, in a movie, honestly. <laughs> just understand that goddamn thing you said. Anyway, here's what it actually is going on. <laughs> that, was kind of, that was kind of a consistent motif I saw throughout the movie, too, where it's just like, um, what's uh, um, Luis Guzman walks with, um, I'm trying to remember the woman's name right now. Was it... Lindsay, yeah, yeah, exactly. And there she's like, "Do you understand uh, uh, what what the fuck he's saying?" Ever like some shit like that. And I kind of yeah, feel like she's that's like, kinda... "No, I mean, I, I think I know what he means." But <laughs> <laughs> and if it was done in like a fucking sure. Guy Ritchie film, it would just be like a fucking beat to death gag. But in this, it's like it, it just comes in like like it's consistent, but it it's never like beat over your head. You know what I mean? It comes in just these subtle points in conversation where it's just like it doesn't annoy you with it. It doesn't it doesn't like you just just browbeat you over the fucking head with it. Like if you were to watch like rock and roller or like a bad guy Richie film. Well, that's what it feels like. It feels like a rock and roller like super side character walked into this L.A. like very chill kind of crime movie that's going on. It's just like everyone rightly is just saying, who's this fucker? Here, I don't, I, I don't know what he's, like, everyone's just confused by him, like, especially the scene where he breaks into, like, the, the truck, you know, moving complex, like, right before the I'm Tell You I'm Coming. All these guys are, like, the most, like, nonchalant, like, guys who move trucks and shit, like, even the guy looks like he's the second stuntman for, like, Tom Wilson, the guy who plays Biff in the Back to the Future movies. Like, he's so <laughs> nondescriptive fucking person, it's just like, who even are you? How did you get into my office? Dude, it's, and that's piney for fucking Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> like, his name's William Lucking. He played he played the guy with the that had the breathing apparatus the whole time in Sons of Anarchy. I was just like, dude, Terrence Stamp just kicked Piney in the nuts. This is awesome. <laughs> He's just playing like a run of the mill like henchman at an illegal operation that you've seen in like so many crime films. But mm-hmm. for my one of my favorite shots, honestly, is just like after he gets after Stamp gets the shit beat out of him. And he's just like, he just walks back in. He just, he stands up, dusts himself off. You see the gun in the back of his pants because you remember he got two of them. And he's just walking right in and you're like, oh no, we're not going to get to see any of it. We're just going to hear that shit. We just know something just went the fuck down. And it's just like a perfectly shot scene. It's like, um, man, I don't want to say Tarantino OS because then I'm going to sound like a dickhead, but. Well, but it's it's not as overly stylized as like a Tarantino movie. That's what I really like it's about like it. It's like subtle. 
it's like constrained, you know, it's like restrained Tarantino. Yeah, you, you hear a you know? couple shots when he goes inside and that one guy runs out and he does the you tell him I'm coming thing. That's the thing. Like, it, it's this line that like in another and someone else's hands could be like, oh, it's this big culminating moment for this movie. It kind of feels like it could be that. But especially when you rewatching it here and even when I rewatched it earlier, like last year in the middle of quarantining, I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is like really just a sad moment. Like, this is a triumph for him. But it's a really small, pathetic, and, like, you killed a bunch of guys, like, in a fucking truck warehouse. <laughs> like, no one's gonna give a shit. Yeah, and they immediately take the piss out of it, too, with the following conversation. Tell them I'm coming. What the fuck does that mean? Coming for who? <laughs> like, they, like they, they're like, what? Who the fuck is this guy? Again, it's like, all these things he f- have such meaning to him. These people don't fucking care about this guy or give him really no mind up until the last two-thirds of the movie. Once he throws homeboy off the balcony, then they're like, oh, this guy's serious. They don't give a fuck about this guy. Well, and I like also even the undoing of our villains is actually at the hands of, like, some other shitty low-level, like, hood that they tried to hire up. Like, that's what I love is that Terrence Stamp doesn't, like, kill anybody during the climax. It's all just, like, a bunch of infighting horse shit for this, like, really lower-level, meager-ass, like, criminal organization that's going on here. I mean, it pretty much is the ending of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Like, literally, that happens at this house. It's just, like, somehow, some way, these mediocre henchmen just end up leading to a shoot. It's it's basically like, wait, you're getting killed by your own guy. <laughs> your own so <laughs> your own operation is falling apart. I mean, imagine dying in this scenario and thinking to yourself, damn, I really shouldn't have fucking hired these, like, dipshits. I should have just let them play pool and just left them fucking be. <laughs> because, like... <laughs> and the last thing you did was watch fucking Ex- Access Hollywood with fucking Peter Fonda while you, like, were putting the shells inside the fucking bowl. <laughs> For $5,000. That's it. <laughs> that's yep. what he hired these two guys to kill him for. Five grand. And that's literally it. I mean, it's it's fucking, like you said, they're just low-level scumbags. Like, it's, it's, it's really slimy and sleazy and sort of, like, not even the good, like, dirty underbelly of fucking, like, crime like you see in movies. These are just fucking posers, basically. It's just a bunch of fucking jokers who think they're big shots. Yeah, I think that's what really works about it. But let's go ahead. We have a whole other movie to talk about. So let's go ahead and wrap up on the uh, line. Uh, go ahead, uh, Tori, your final thoughts on the line. I, I, I know I sounded like I was kind of like back and forth as far as um, um, how I was like, you know, my, like my thoughts on the film. But it, I, I really do uh, think this is a great film as far as um, – Steven Soderbergh's filmography. Um, I was surprised. Well, I guess I shouldn't say surprised, but I was just taken aback by seeing a film, uh, like a restrained type of revenge uh, film from him, um, considering that the films I've seen later on haven't, you know, they, they would have like moments of subtlety and then, you know, moments of just, you know, it's not subtle whatsoever. I, I would say when it comes to this movie, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to give it another viewing again. Just because, like, this film's still so fresh in my mind, and I, like I said, I didn't expect this when I when I uh, initially saw it, and I, and I and I do think, like I said before, I really like the cast. I really like how it's shot. Um, I really like how different it goes about uh, a revenge thriller, even though I feel like it does definitely take some of its, you know, motifs and shit from like other crime films. But it's just it's shot in a way where it feels way more original than the films that it's borrowing things from. This is a a solid film, and um, I'm grateful for seeing it. Well, and uh, Adam, your final thoughts on The Limey. I've always liked this movie. I will always like this movie. Uh, I don't watch it very often. In fact, I think this might be the first time I've seen it in a couple years, if not, you know, even longer. But every time I see it, I really like it. I love the aesthetic of it. I really dig the acting in it. 
Um, I like that it's a, just this little personal sort of crime thriller. Does some really like sort of arts house independent tricks to it with the way it's shot and edited and some of the narrative. But yeah, I think it's a really fun uh, little movie that, you know, I, I, I get why, though, it's not as well known or as uh, sort of celebrated as some of his other movies or even movies like this, because it is definitely different of a different cloth than pretty much anything he's done and other movies like this. But I think it's really, really cool. And it's just kind of, I, I hate to use this word, but it's just like a hip ass movie. Like it's fucking cool. It's one of those movies that like around the time it came out in 99, you had sort of this explosion of these type of movies like this ghost dog, you know, boondock saints, things like that, where it's these, these cool little movies that didn't get a lot of uh, theatrical play and not a lot of media coverage, but they're there and they're cool and they exist in this sort of time capsule because you don't get movies like this anymore. And for that, I mean, I'll always love it. And I think it's, I think it's really fun. Um, I would say that we do kind of get movies like this more recently as of yet, but I, I think that's the thing is that like this kind of like smaller crime movie was kind of killed after like at the dawn of the new millennium. But I think as we've gotten especially like A24 or Anna Perenina movies, we've gotten a lot more movies like this. They're like smaller scale that kind of like go into like more of the character stuff of these genre tropes of like the criminal. And I think that's the thing is this feels like it's very predictive almost of like an A24. I think that's why Soderbergh feels so kind of ahead of the curve in his own way because it's like telling this familiar story in an intimate kind of perspective and I, I love the way that it does it this is my favorite of Soderbergh's movies I would say I love stamping it I love the whole cast I think it does so much of like the reason I was maybe clowning on Death Wish early I think I've said this even on the show before it's just like those kind of revenge thrillers aren't as interesting to me because they give you the idea of like oh yeah this revenge is gonna make it all worth it but kind of like what we talked about with Mandy last week I love the idea of these revenge thrillers where it's like they do their thing they kind of get to their certain point of like oh this is gonna be so satisfying and worth it and either you know in the case of mandy he does it and then nothing kind of culminates from it or in this case he almost gets there and he realizes oh this isn't gonna change anything i'm still just gonna be me and he might go off and keep on being like a piece of shit thug but at the same time he has this moment of clarity where he realizes like this isn't gonna bring my daughter back this isn't gonna do anything and i love a movie that comes at a kind of point like that so yeah, if you have not seen this, I would definitely recommend it. As Tori mentioned, it's on like Tubi TV. It usually plays on like the cheapest streaming services possible because it's not an expensive movie to get the rights to, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, would definitely recommend this one. And before we get to our next feature, here is an ad for Neo Soshi you can queue up right after hours. The 42 cast is turning 100, but like all good things, it must come to an end. Tune in to our epic finale as we see who lives, who dies, and who gets their own spinoff. And then come back when the 42 cast is back for season two, with even more segments, more guests, and more of explaining why Ryan is wrong. It's why we're still the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. You can only find all this awesome by downloading the 42 cast, a proud member of the ESO Network. Alright, and now we're going into our bad feature... The informant. I gotta say that because it's got an exclamation point. The informant. What I'm about to tell you, it involves something very large. Everyone in this country is a victim of corporate crime by the time they finish breakfast. Yes. Things are going on I don't approve of. I mean, I feel real bad about that. <laughs> Would you be willing to wear a wire? We need your help. 
7.30 a.m. I am approaching the entrance to the office. You don't really need to narrate the tapes for right. us when you're Absolutely. making them. Just not a problem. I want you to keep this secret. Absolutely. Don't tell us anything. It's very important to your case you not discuss this with anyone else. I'm a person of interest in an ongoing investigation. Oh, my God. So the informant uh, came out September 18th, 2009, <laughs> um, and uh, was directed by Steven Soderbergh based on a script from uh, Scott Z. Burns. And this is a true story um, in which Matt Damon plays a guy named Mark Whitaker, who uh, was actually part of this um, company that in the early 90s that produced something called Lysine that's basically like a corn product that kind of keeps your you know sort of starch preserved basically for stuff like cereal and orange juice anything anything that you, that you eat during your breakfast is kind of like formed around this lysine stuff and there was some price fixing around that that um doesn't it sound boring as i'm talking about this and that's yeah. the thing of the movie it's kind of um it's this kind of interesting take on a boring story um i would say but I think all people really remember this for is this is the movie where Matt Damon gained like 30 pounds and he looked kind of fat. Yep. And he had a mustache and the posters really silly. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, the informant is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is I saw it right when it came out uh, because of the Matt Damon thing. And I don't rem- didn't remember shit really about it until rewatching it for the show. And I know why I didn't remember anything about it till watching it for the show. Uh, to me, it is just a meandering bore of a film. Matt Damon in dialogue spouting on like the first couple times spouts off these kooky facts. You're like, oh, this is kind of cool. By the time he gets to like fucking fact number 20 about polar bears or something, you're like, all right, I fucking who cares? It's just to me, and it's so easily telegraphed to like what's going on, even if you don't know the true story. Nah, <laughs> nah. Great cast, great cast, and a lot of like uh, comedic oh, the, act. The the most stacked like comedy cast of all time for this not that very funny movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a pretty serious cast. I mean, there's a lot of good actors in it. It's a serious cast of funny people. <laughs> Yeah, and they're all pretty good in it. Everyone's pretty good in it. Uh, it's shot good. It looks good. The acting's good. It's just boring. It's super boring, and it feels like it lasts for fucking ever. Well, uh, Tori, uh, what do you think of The Informant? Oh, I'm sorry. The Informant. What do you think of it? Um, you guys have done a decent amount of episodes with me, and I've, I've done this before, so I'm, I'm really fucking sorry when I say this. I really love this movie. <laughs> no, no, there's no problem. Like, look, someone someone has some excitement about the informant. Go ahead, ex- express yeah. it. I think Matt Damon's performance is so good, and I think honestly, the surrounding cast is so got is so good that I I honestly wasn't bored throughout the entirety of watching this. And um, I think maybe it's because it's more to do with like the the tone. It's pretty satirical. I just really like, I don't know, there's something about it that I kind of thought was a lot more of an easier a viewing of this than I did with, um, than I did with the Limey, <laughs> honestly, in comparison to the Limey. Um, it, it, it's kind of like a more whimsical version of, um, what's it, like um, the big short in a way, because, you know, the, you, you were just watching like, you know, you have no choice. You're just watching like this financial collapse surrounding around you. You're just watching a specific file, like not just financial, but like mental collapse of somebody who had like all the ambition in the world. But he's he's an idiot, a pathological liar and an idiot. 
and you're just like it, it's kind of like the the thing where it's like you have a character that's so detestable but for some reason it's maybe it's because of his like maybe because of the character's charm maybe because of matt damon's performance you kind of have this thing inside where it's like will he actually pull this off even though you know the true story he doesn't pull it off you kind of see it like all this 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 nonsense you're seeing all these like very stupid things that you're seeing him do where he's like simultaneously like he's trying to like dip his toes halfway into the water of like trying to be a whistleblower and thinking at the same time that I can take over this like the the thought process alone is just is like what drew me into this film like no matter how especially towards like the third act where everything is just falling the fuck apart and it just comes from being like pathetic to just downright sad and just like all the character interactions that happen like throughout the film it just I don't know I wasn't it wasn't boring to me I, I it's like it's just it, even for like something that I saw that I didn't even think what I, I'd ever see on screen I'm like I'm seeing Richard Horvitz in a fucking live action role when, when does this happen a voice of Invader Zim yes <laughs> yeah voice of Invader Zim Billy you know um just just random stuff like that and it's just like it's a great collection of comedic character actors and then of course just being anchored by Matt Damon's performance himself and it's like maybe it's because maybe this is like quote unquote an actor's movie or whatever because I mean I couldn't tell you if like you know the, the plot was really that great it was just a run of a mill plot of like you know oh someone's rise and fall but they didn't really rise they kind of just took like maybe two steps up and then had these like and they just had less like ambitious like wave hit upon them and then it's just like oh yeah here's reality and then it just falls the fuck apart as it should <laughs> so. i think that really works for at least the first 30 minutes or so of it and i think it's a yeah. really on the strength of i agree i think the biggest asset to this movie it's not just that matt damon like gained the 30 pounds he does pull like a really interesting comedic performance in terms of it's what you're talking about this guy pulled off this massive kind of like embezzlement price fixing related like scheme against both his company and the the U.S. government. And he seems to do it, like, more out of just, like, a force of habit of being a compulsive liar. And he looks like a fucking fat version of Ned Flanders, which is, like, he's so unassuming that he you wouldn't think he would be, like, capable of doing all this shit. But I think that's what's kind of interesting, at least from, I think, his performance standpoint. And I think it especially works whenever, like, the two sort of his biggest scene partners in the movie, who I think are really great together, are uh, Joel McHale and Scott Bakula as the FBI agents, I think really work well off of him for what we're kind of talking about, where it's like reacting off of Mark Whitaker being this weird person that you can't believe is really doing any of this. And I think they get the most interesting kind of like comedic material out of like being the straight man for that scenario. But this huge cast that we're talking about, like we mentioned, like Richard Stephen Horvitz or like Clancy Brown's also there, Patton Oswalt, uh, Rick Overton, Tom Papa, Tom Wilson from Back to the Future, Paul F. Tompkins. Like, they, they're all, like, really funny character actors when they can be and other things. And here I just think they, they're kind of doing the exact same thing that, like, say, Mikhail and Bakula are doing, but with just, like, less material. Because it's just like, oh my god, Matt Damon is, like, this unassuming guy who, it turns out, is, like, a compulsive liar who says stupid shit. I think that joke gets really old after the first like thirty minutes or so of the movie. Yeah, that that's basically what I was trying to say though. It, it's the joke wears so thin for me so fast. I never once felt sympathy for the Damon character in this at all. Uh, he's a horrible con man, a horrible pathological liar. He's using and abusing everyone around him, including members of his own family, his parents, whatever you want to call it. Maybe it's because of the time we're living in now. Uh, but watching a movie about a rich sort of erudite 
CEO sort of on the up and up of this major corporation who's also a pathological liar and a piece of shit uh, didn't really connect for me right now. What are you talking about? This movie where John Dowd, the the fucking lawyer for Trump during like the 2016 like election shit, being in this movie, how how did that not appeal to you right now? It's so great. I, well, I don't know. That's why I said. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just, you guys. You know what? You guys, you guys aren't learned enough. I think that's the problem. Uh, but no, it's it's just it didn't appeal to me when it came out either, though, because it's like I don't mind movies about white collar crime and embezzlement and sort of these corporations and you know, the seedy shit that goes on in them and everything. I really don't. In fact, I, I, I tend to enjoy some of them, but this one tried to make it almost too sort of funny. Like you're says, this is funny. This guy defrauded millions of people and the government. I mean, he's just a piece of shit. And I, I can't, I, I don't find any sort of joy or fun out of it. You know, like another one I would even equate to is like even like Wolf of Wall Street or Wall Street, the original. Like, don't be wrong. I like Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, I like the performances in it and everything like that. But still, at the same time, fuck this guy. Like, he's a piece of shit. Like, I, it just it doesn't do it for me, man. And this is kind of the same way I feel about this. It's yeah, I really do like Scott Bakula. And I, I, I'm a Bakula holic. I, I think that's a thing. If not, I'm trademark TM. I like Joel McHale in it. I like, you know. Tom Papa, Paul Tompkins, when they show up and stuff, it's really cool. Uh, but there's just such a major disconnect for me because, again, fuck these guys. With those movies you talk about, like A Wolf of Wall Street, or even the one I would kind of compare to is a movie we talked about in the show with uh, I Love You, Philip Morris. Like, these movies are about yeah. people that con others out of money, but the difference is I think those other movies escalate in a more interesting way. Where, like, it gets to absurd lengths and they go, like, much more over the top as opposed to Soderbergh's trying to make this a lot more, like, kind of grounded and realistic a movie. Obviously, because it's, like, based on this true story that he kind of wants to give me, like, oh, this can happen even, like, an average, like, really shitty cubicle setup for, like, a, a, a fucking place that makes corn and shit like that in this case. And I just think, like, it, it kind of gets boring because the joke is so much more repetitive. I think the most interesting sort of, like, comedic beats to the movie for me are, like, one, Tony Hale, who we haven't mentioned, who I think is funny as his lawyer. Like, there's a bit where they talk about, like, you know what, I want to sue them because they hit me with a briefcase, and Tony Hale's reactions are really funny, and I'm a lot more animated. Or even, I really love um, when they call up his parents, and they find out, like, oh, he's been lying about them being hit with the car and all that. And they have his dad, who, by the way, is Frank Welker, the guy who does, like... All the animal voices in, like, live-action movies. And it's also, like, he's the voice of Scooby-Doo. And he's been the voice of Fred since the beginning. Um, he's been in so many things. It's his first live-action role in, like, ages. And his wife asks him, like, so how do you feel about, like, Mark saying that we died and he got adopted? And he, like, pushes his glasses up, like, well, that's a bit weird. <laughs> like, that's fun. But I just think most of the time it's just a lot of people in boardrooms kind of talking to Matt Damon about, like, hey, how come you uh, did the price-fixing thing and embezzled? Well... I didn't tell you about this either. And I just, I think it got kind of repetitive for me more than anything. But you didn't feel that as much, Tori? I didn't feel it as much. And I also kind of had this, um, like, this kind of gave me the emotional satisfaction that, let's say, I didn't really get from the Limey because I got to have the emotional satisfaction of seeing this man fall apart and crumble due to his just incredibly weak fucking foundation of lies. The throne of lies, if you will. And seeing him suffer as a result. All while having the, you know, the entertainment factor of will he actually fucking get away with any of this? Like, because I didn't really look into like the, you know, I didn't spoil anything for me. I didn't really look into the story. I just wanted to take it for what it is. Like, it's just kind of like a, um, 
you get the satisfaction of either you know being shocked, oh, he actually gets away with this, or you get the uh, the emotional satisfaction of just seeing him just completely fall on his face to the point where it's so goddamn pathetic. And to mirror it to real life circumstances, you kind of just wish this would happen right now. So this was like fantasy for me in a way, which is ironic considering that this film is, like you said, very grounded. And you know the thing, I didn't want to say it because I didn't. I thought it would. It sounded kind of dumb in my head. Um, I did get I love you, Philip Morris vibes from this, but. Obviously, just not as wacky, not as zany, um, because like I said, the zaniness is kind of you kind of get it in sparks. You know, you don't really get like a, a, a full like exposure to it, you know, and, I, and that's what I kind of like about it. that's what I liked about it. I, they, I'm glad they kind of kept the zaniness to Matt Damon's character and they kind of like had all these comedic uh, actors a little more grounded, like, um, you know, like Patton Oswalt, Paul F. Tompkins, um, Joe McHale, like it, for some reason, this just this just clicked with me, you know what I mean. And to see his just it's it's so sweet to see his downfall. Like, it's it maybe it's just, maybe it's just like the time I'm watching this now because like I said, I never saw this before. You know, I kind of pushed it when I saw it, and like I didn't really nothing really wanted make me want to see it when I was like 18 when this came out. And I remember seeing all the trailers and the, you know, Us People magazine. Oh, Matt Damon got fatter for this or, or whatever because everybody seemed so hyper fixated on that at the time. But, but Tori, he's born. He got fat. <sighs> I don't think you understand this. He he's like a big muscle guy at the time, but he got like fat. It's like he looked like me. You know what I mean? Dude, also, like I was a... I was watching this. I'm just like, did Jesse Plemons just look at this like I'm gonna steal that look and really own it? And to be fair, he has. He's done a really great job with this. Yep. And forever. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's just like I I don't know. Like uh, th this film, it it took me. It was this just incredibly just pathetic and cringy ride of watching somebody just suffer as a result of like just just their actions they, they it's weird i'm like wait am i seeing white collar crime criminals i'm seeing wait rich white people actually suffering consequences for being fucking pieces of shit this is like the best fantasy film i've seen in years well i mean what except like at, at the very end he has like a little call like a, a card that comes and says like no he still has a pretty high paying job now he got out of prison and he has to yeah i know that's what it ruined it though yeah oh, i'm sorry to make it no, no, you're good. Nobody suffers any consequences. That's the sort of the, the fucking the bullshit of it all. I mean, if you, nobody goes through anything. You, Tom Pappas' character, when he gets out, his dad's still filthy rich. He's still going to be filthy rich. Nobody suffers any consequences. Matt Damon does what? Nine years? And still, potentially mm -hmm. still has two point something million dollars hidden away. Right, as opposed to, I think that's what's more of, like, Wolf of Wall Street makes that a very specific aim. And they do, like, a brief title card. Where it's like, BT dubs, this is what Jordan Belfort's doing now. They make that a pretty big factor for the last five minutes or so. Which is like, hey, by the way, I did all this shit, and I'm off free, and I'm still fucking people like you over. That's what I'm doing here. As opposed to here, it's very plainly just like, oh, yeah, and, and he... Like, he even said that thing about, like, oh, I have, like, 11 million as opposed to 9. And there's a title card that's like, and now he has a job still, and he got out of prison. And right. it just feels like I don't mind that idea because obviously it's based on a true story. If you're gonna like culminate with sure, that, sure. but it's so, so just sort of like matter of fact. It's kind of the problem I have with the movie where I I agree. I think it's aiming for kind of making this kind of a oh this is a chill matter of fact white collar crime movie, and I like the sort of consistency. At least I can give credit to that with like the way it's kind of like this yellow almost piss filter that makes it look so bland. Um, and then even the uh, the weird uh, Marvin Hamlish score. 
that sounds like it's an infomercial kind of thing, like a hygiene movie almost, with how jaunty it is. I think that contrast is kind of interesting, but it's a like a lot of style stuff that just kind of doesn't really work that well for me as much. I think it just gets like it, it has that interesting kind of pop initially, and it's a joke that, as I think Adam mentioned, it gets kind of old for me personally after a certain point. Yeah, what what I was saying um, earlier about like you know as far as like him con like facing consequences i mean like yeah to a degree no he doesn't he gets his million he still has a couple million dollars he's a ceo at the end uh but like compared to like what he's his lofty ambitions he had he still like you know fell to like fell on his face but it's it's kind of like that thing where where i was comparing it earlier to something like the big short where it's like ultimately you know none of them really face anything for their repercussions but it's still like you still have this like anxious like this anxiety ridden riot and it's just like i don't know maybe it's because i just actually felt like emotion from this movie because i'm like one minute it's like you know laughing i'm angry then i'm cringing and then it's just kind of like a loop of feedback loop of that throughout the entirety of the film and i don't know maybe it's, it's maybe it's just me obviously but uh i don't know it just kept me glued into the film um as to the point where i like i i really didn't feel like it slowed down on me i don't know some might be wrong with me guys and I, I, I don't i don't know there are other people that like this movie i mean this they, there are sort of fans of this film it's got actually still a pretty high rating as far as on um, you know the interwebs and stuff like that like it's not a universally sort of hated movie it's not even universally considered like one of Soderbergh's worst it's just where you know I'm completely on the flip side of you it, it, it never grabbed me not once um like I said within the first 20 minutes I'm like I, I'm already tired of this I'm already tired of the narration I'm already tired of the way it looks as far as the filter and everything like I get it like I get it and you just it, it seems to sort of stay at the same pace for me the whole movie and and like you said where you notice the cycle that happens and, and things like that and i noticed that too and that's what made it even longer for me where it's like thomas even alluded to too where we're in boardrooms and it's this and this and this and also i i know about this okay wait you lied about that well of course i lied because i had to because of this and this and this but there's also this going on and it just happens over and over and don't forget a comedian being kind of voices like what is that what you're doing yes exactly but I'll say at least, like, to, as we kind of, I guess, edge into closing thoughts here, um, I'll at least say I prefer it over something like, say, The Laundromat from Soderbergh, which is a lot more of, like, it's him trying to do the big short thing with a lot of the same kind of, like, Adam McKay kind of cuts to and people talking to the screen and trying to explain things that are going on over and over again. I at least appreciate this more than him trying to do that because in that movie, that just really falls apart and there's no, like, real central character to kind of hinge on as opposed to, like... I would say I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but at least Matt Damon is, like, an interesting presence to lean on, even beyond the weight thing. He just has, like, this dedication to this weird character with even, like, the stream of consciousness narration and the way that he does lie. I think, like, my favorite scene of the movie is probably later on when he is lying about the letterhead to Scott Bakula. And he just, like, they break yeah. down everything about, like, the area code wasn't a thing. Oh, well, maybe he had heard about it before. And it's, like, teased in the narration. It just keeps, like, completely breaking down. Like, that scene, I'm just like, I, I wish the movie had more interesting bits like this. Where you got, like, even more into his mindset that isn't just, like, spouting facts, like I mentioned. Um, but as it stands, I think it's it's one of Soderbergh's, like, lesser movies. But I would say it's more like the forgettable camp to me. Necessarily outright bad. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Any other final thoughts beyond that? 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's bland. I think it's meandering. I think it's kind of boring. And ultimately, yeah, it's it's forgettable. I mean, there's good performances in it. It, it, it they definitely tried to elicit something, and uh, for me, it just failed on every level. Like I said, I I've already seen this, and I forgot everything about it. And uh, you ask me. Fuck, man, six months to a year from now, I'll be like, oh, yeah, what was that movie about? I'm not even going to remember. Matt Damon's so, fat in it, right? Yeah, Matt Damon's fat. He's got the mustache, right? Like they did the 40-year-old virgin poster. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and then we talked to you a month later. It's like, Jesse Plemons wasn't that, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> Jesse Plemons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks just like Jesse Plemons. But, um, yeah, it's just, eh, eh, eh. It's, it exists. Like, it, it's ultimately forgettable. I agree. Well, well, let's give Tori, the super fan, the final word on uh, your final thoughts on The Informant. I'm sorry, The Informant! Man, we are... I, I, I'm beginning to get the whole running the jokes into the ground thing from you, from you Tom. I think, uh, I think I might be... I think you might... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's coming full circle now. <laughs> like, you know, The Informant... Oh, God, no. Okay, sorry. Sorry, all right. Um, so, as far as final thoughts were concerned, I mean, like... Um, when I was like 18, when this film came out, I was like in high school when this came out. I remember seeing the trailers, the posters, like how this whole thing was looking. It, it just didn't really have anything interesting that I need, that I really wanted to see. So, you know, seeing it for the episode today, it, I was like, you know, this is, this is really good. This is like an above, this is above average. I'm not going to say it's the best Soderbergh film, like to like whatsoever. Like it's, I wouldn't even put it in like a top five for Soderbergh movies, but I gotta say, like, it was it was really solid. I really wasn't bored, and I think it's just one of those films where, like, the performances and just the banter between the characters was kind of enough to just kind of keep me um, engrossed, you know what I mean? And, yeah, I mean, it's not something, like, I'm definitely not gonna be going, like, listen, listen, the informant is a classic. Like, no, like, I'm not, not, I'm not trying to get that vibe off at all, but I... I really didn't see a bad film here, <laughs> which is, you know, so I mean, that, that would be my final thoughts. I, I think it's like, you know, it's a, it's above average. It's a really solid film. Um, I would say, you know, give it a chance, see it. Um, but good chance, you know, you're, you're going to have either a me reaction or, you know, Adam and Tom, you know, it's, it, it seems like it just has that sort of reception or, or sort of a, a reputation. Well, uh, that is the end of our discussion of our two films. We'll be picking our next two films for next week at the very end of the episode. So stay tuned for that. And, uh, first we have some feedback to read because every Monday at DEDB pod on Facebook and Twitter, we ask y'all, Hey, what are your favorite, least favorite movies related to whatever topic we're doing? So we asked y'all about. Mr. Soderbergh's filmography, and uh, we had some takers here, including James Rodriguez, just last week's guest, says, uh, Magic Mike is a compelling character study wrapped in an energetic and fun package. Uh, Aaron Brockovich sees a real-life story brought to the screen in such an understated, yet gripping way. Behind the Candelabra is an exceptional biopic brought to life uh, from the lavish costumes to Rob Lowe's makeup, and Ocean's Eleven is an energetically crafted heist flick uh, with a great load of fun to it. Ocean's 12 is still fun to me, but the whole Julia Roberts side plot is a step too far for me. Um, and then Jonathan Havdemichael says, uh, Steven Soderbergh is the rare auteur that criticized the uniformity of modern Hollywood filmmaking and continues to make great film in television. Um, I could bring up an Ocean's movie or Aaron Brockovich, but he has the best 2010s of any director with Contagion is a pandemic film that we deserve. Unsane side effects are great thrillers dealing with mental health and any film with Channing Tatum is a guaranteed good time, except maybe Haywire because of Gina Carano. Um, Christian Alvarez says uh, Steven Soderbergh is a fantastic modern age director. That's willing to prove his immense amount of talent by directing across various genres 
directing um, amazing high-profile casts, and he's capable of making uh, his movies so intense despite few missteps in his career over the years. Um, his best films would include Traffic, Ocean's Eleven, Contagion, and Behind the Candelabra. His missteps include Ocean's Twelve, which is an overcomplicated attempt at uh, recreating the magic of the original, the Informant, which has an interesting cast but is underwhelming, and Solaris uh, hasn't been able to keep my interest every time I try to watch it. Uh, Bruce at the underscore era underscore Bruce says, Worst, The Laundromat. Best, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And then Ryan Quarterman says, The Oceans trilogy is one of the only perfect trilogies. Magic Mike is perfect. Side effects fucks. Unsane is a banger. High Flying Bird doesn't get nearly enough love. Logan Lucky is a blast. Haywire is an amazing spy film, and The Laundromat is good, it's just people aren't smart enough to get it. Soderbergh is constantly pushing the boundaries and creating new and exciting stories, to the point I for sure know, I'm missing some here, that I love, but he just has so many good things. Steven is bae. Ryan, never change, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking guy. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I I tend to agree with most of those. Uh, I actually am a pretty big fan of Solaris. I know it's definitely one of those movies that is incredibly divisive if not almost universally just kind of disliked um i think it looks the shit i love the score the score is one of my favorite film scores of the last 25 years without a doubt logan lucky's good i like it it feels like soderbergh's uh version of a coen brothers movie but i think it's pretty good daniel craig and nothing else in that movie is so fucking phenomenal yeah oh yeah absolutely I really do enjoy Ocean's Eleven quite a bit. That that falls in line almost with uh, what I was talking about earlier, like this era of just these cool sort of crime movies that were coming out. Ocean's Eleven was definitely sort of the most polished version of that. Uh, but I, I really enjoy that one still. I like Magic Mike as well. I think Magic Mike is a, a surprise of a movie. Like Magic Mike is definitely one of those ones you go in expecting something, and it turns out to be something completely different in a, in a really good way. But yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm not as versed on uh, soda bread as I'd like to be. I, I, eh, it is what it is. I, I don't know that I ever will. I don't know that I have the sort of drive to seek out his other stuff as a sort of a, an auteur and try to discover something. Uh, but from what I've seen, I, I, I do enjoy his stuff. And yes, I did call him soda bread. That's his name. Soda bread's his name. <laughs> <laughs> soda bread. <laughs> well, soda bread for, for, for me, when it comes to Soderbergh, it's like um, a lot of films that I saw um, that I've seen out of his, I actually didn't realize he made like, uh, for instance, mid 2000s film called The Good German, which doesn't have like the greatest positive reception, but I really enjoyed. Um, and as far as like the 2010s go, um, I'm two thirds with Jonathan because I've never seen Contagion, but I really love Unsane and Side Effects. Side Effects was one of my favorite films of 2013. But there's also a lot of Soderbergh I haven't seen. Like, I still haven't seen Logan Lucky. I really never really saw Traffic, to be honest. Uh, I'd say Traffic and Aaron Brockovich I haven't really seen. For me, Soderbergh, it's like The Ocean's Trilogy, Unsane, uh, Side Effects, The Good German. Of course, you know, the two films that we've seen today. And that's been pretty much my exposure to him. So I have a lot really to, to dig in when it comes to to his work, uh, especially Magic Mike. My, uh, my my girlfriend's really trying to get me to see Magic Mike. And I think uh, I, I guess I should give that a chance. <laughs> so it, like it has like the fun sort of like male stripper stuff. But then it also culminates it with like, hey, you know, all this fun male stripper stuff. Um, these people are very broken and sad <laughs> and they live really shitty lives and they backstab each other all the time. So it's Boogie Nights. Kind of, yeah. It's like the Boogie Nights with male strippers, yeah. 
Oh, okay. Like, right. But I mean, I, I would say I agree that I hadn't really seen a lot of his movies, but until like fairly recently, either doing research for this or over like the past year or so, just out of boredom, I watched some of his stuff. Um, really with traffic, technically you, you may not have seen that particular movie, but you've kind of seen track if you've seen any like drug cartel movie that's come out over the past 20 years. Cause like traffic pretty much created yeah. the modern sort of like, Oh, Hey, we're in Mexico. There's a yellow filter over everything. <laughs> um, and there's like all this like, you know, a drug related kind of like drama that's going on. That's the thing is if nothing else, like I'm not a huge fan of traffic necessarily, but I can see like every like big Oscar movie about drugs has ripped this movie off wholesale. <laughs> the guy innovates and even with stuff like he creates stars. Like I would say one, we haven't somehow mentioned all this, but out of sight is such a phenomenal movie that really made Clooney yeah, like a movie star. Really Cause the thing is like, he was yeah. still licking his wounds from Batman and Robin right after that. Like, at this time, it's like, oh, shit, what's, what's he going to do now? Like, is he going to just be the ER guy? The guy who's on Facts of Life? Return of the Killer Tomatoes? Like, that, is he going to just be that kind of guy? Um, and then that really, like, helped blossom his career. And Soderbergh's really, like, kind of shepherded him and, like, Matt Damon. A lot of those people in the Oceans cast um, wouldn't be as big a stars if not for him, I would argue. I would say Out of Sight's probably the, the one solid J-Lo performance you'll see in a film. So, I mean, hey. <laughs> Someone hasn't seen Hustlers. Nope. Really? Good. Phenomenal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great. Okay. Dope. Huh? All right. Well, I mean, Magic Mike and Hustlers, that's definitely going to be an interesting Saturday night viewing. That's for sure. <laughs> um, or, or even, like, with Benicio Del Toro. I think he did. Like, Benicio Del Toro obviously was working and done, like, Usual Suspects and stuff. But I would argue he blew up with, like, really traffic. Like, that's such a weird Oscar win for that dude. Like, he won an Oscar, and he's just been doing the weirdest character choices ever since. And he's even done stuff like, I, I managed to watch the two-part Shay movie. The Shea Guevara movie that Soderbergh did with him. Yeah. Uh, which it's is, like... very... Ooh, actually, I forgot that one. That's another one I, I saw. Um, both parts, even. Um, I kind of like part two better. It's it's a lot. You. What are you talking about? Four and a half hours? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? That's nothing. Um, I'm an afternoon to that shit, man. It, but it's it's an experience. I don't know if it's like a great films, but it's an experience. <laughs> I actually would say I prefer the first one because that one is more about like Shay's rise and also kind of juxtaposing that with his UN visit in the 60s. I think it's a lot more intriguing kind of like a juxtaposition as opposed to I think it, it, the the fall kind of feels like, oh, we're doing another guerrilla warfare thing. But it kind of like ultimately fails, obviously, because of what happened historically. Um, but it's still like a, a noble experiment that nobody really gave a shit about. And I love the fact that that's the thing is like, he's even able to like evolve from that and eventually get to like the iPhone phase where I would definitely agree. Um, Ryan mentioned high flying bird, which is on Netflix is phenomenal and isn't getting enough love. And it's about, um, Andre Holland plays a guy who's like an agent for basketball players in the middle of like a lockdown for basketball. And he sort of is this guy who's doing a bit of like behind the scenes machinations to basically subvert the basketball system. I don't want to really say what kind of happens with the ending. Cause the ending is a great, like pow punch of a surprise, but it's like this really interesting kind of like character dramedy that gets you invested in like, Oh, it's just behind the scenes dealings of basketball. And then it like punches you in the gut with the ending in a way that I think really works personally. I would say that is the behind the scenes sports drama movie. I prefer vastly over like a Moneyball. Like everybody loved Moneyball, which was supposed to be Soderbergh. Actually, it was going to be Soderbergh with Pitt and actually instead of Jonah Hill, Dimitri Martin was going to play that part. Interesting. 
Which yeah, would have been a really different movie, probably. Um, but I, I vastly prefer a high-flying bird, though. And then, once again, the iPhone cinematography, you just feel really immersed and you don't feel like it looks cheap. And it's the same way with Unsane. I love the way that movie looks and gets you like really intimately close to everything that's going on. Yeah. I haven't gotten my chance to see Unsane yet. I've been wanting to see it just out of pure fascination. But I definitely do want to watch the high-flying bird one. Uh, a, I, I really like Andre Holland. I'm kind of a sucker for a good sports drama, but you know, there's kind of few far in between that aren't sort of the cookie cutter sort of stereotype. You've seen it a thousand times already. So uh, that one, I'm, I'm actually, I'll, I might watch that uh, either post show or tomorrow. Yeah, especially if it's similar to Moneyball, because I mean, like Moneyball is such a great movie that it kind of signifies as to why baseball is just complete shit now. So if it's like if, if this is like even an improvement on that and like especially looking at this cast, I mean, Andre Holland was fantastic in Moonlight. I'd like to actually see something in um, something where he's like the main, you know, star vehicle of this. So um, I'm, I think I'm going to be in Adam's camp. I think I'm going to see this after uh, we're done tonight. Yeah. And the Zazie Beats is also there. Zachary Quinto, Bill Duke. Our man also appears in it as well. Very good underrated movie. And like I said, I think my least favorite is The Laundromat. I think The Laundromat is just like a colossal failure of a movie because like it made me respect more of like The Big Short because The Big Short works in that you're playing like the shell game. Like you're on yeah. like the side of the street and like the guy's doing the shell game with you and completely hustling you while he's distracting you. And that works for like that movie. But The Laundromat feels a lot more like when you're watching Vice and they're doing that where it's like, I get what you're going for, dude. But I'm, I'm, I kind of just don't care what you're talking about. <laughs> like, you're just kind of repeating the same points over and over. And it's a lot of, like, Gary Oldman and Tony Banderas, like, talking to the audience. And Gary Oldman's doing this really bad Werner Herzog impression the whole time. And it's just like, what the fuck's even happening? Like, and it's this weird anthology thing where you think the main character is Meryl Streep. And then they tell you, like, five different stories about the Panama Papers. And they just keep cutting back to, like, oh, hey, Streep's still in this movie. Well, let's go back to this other story about the Panama Papers. It's like a really bad anthology comedy almost with the way it's constructed. It's just, it's weird. Yeah, it seemed annoying from the trailer alone. And I kind of was just like, yeah, I'll get to it when I see it. I, I just, I just saw the big short and I'm, you know, I, I can't have another angry, it triggered panic attack. Like it's just, and this one doesn't even look like it has that emotional weight anyway. So, you know, maybe it, it's, it's going to be something I see down the line where I'm bored. Um, but thank you all for contributing that feedback. We also want to thank some other people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And thanks to our loyal patrons over at patreon.com slash pod, where for just $1, a month you get to vote in polls where we you choose either topics or specific movies we do for the show and uh, you even get bonus podcasts like later this month we'll be doing our commentary for tron legacy which you know adam's a big fan of and i'm not as big on so that'll be interesting to hear us go back and forth about it so thank you to all you edgelord level patrons including uh tori here who's a patron hey also adam is right with tron legacy and tom you are you are wrong so so uh, well i have yet to revisit it before we record the commentary so i might change my tone who knows by the time we record you'll have to not. listen you're not shut up i'm trying to get them to do the fucking patreon <laughs> you'll have to listen to find out but obviously tori we're thanking you for being a patron but just thank you for appearing on the episode and why don't you plug yourself a bit i don't really have much to plug um <laughs> don't say that don't say that about yourself <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> my low self-esteem no but uh I, I, I if you want to follow me on twitter i mean feel free to um at tcvb491 uh you can type doom poster in right now uh, r.i.p mf doom that's who it's dedicated to but yeah that would be a thing you know plug uh i got a twitter to plug nothing much else to plug and uh, i want to thank everyone for having me on this on this uh, episode even though i feel like i kind of just rambled my thoughts on through <laughs> for the last unlike hour me so. and adam who never do that we never do that on the show that's not the whole point of the show is us rambling on about bullshit i am so concise in my train of thought everything <laughs> is written down and scripted uh i never stammer or go off on tangents about how nicholas cage is banging jessica beale never happens I, I barely edit the show and all it's just perfect it just comes out whole Basically, about oh, the time. Dude, I'm so good. I am so, I <laughs> fucking top-notch podcasting. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you want more top-notch podcasting, uh, you can uh, follow us on, uh, you know, our different social medias like Twitter and Facebook at DEDVPod, where we ask you those feelers that we mentioned earlier for, like, what your favorite, least favorite things related to a topic. And also, uh, you can email us feedback at doubleedgedelville at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, you know what? Uh, you also can uh, not only hear what we do, but you can uh, wear and drink out of, uh, you know, our logo. If you go over to the T Public store for the ESO network, you can uh, buy mugs or face masks or t-shirts with our lovely logo on it and uh, just wear your pride around for double-edged devil bill. Yeah, and we might actually get uh, a few schmeckles back for that. So if you can, uh, if you can go at shekels, schmeckles, what the fuck is wrong <laughs> <laughs> again perfect i am so good at this uh <laughs> now this is being edited out at all <laughs> yeah no uh it shouldn't be no but yeah we might get a little uh kickback on that but yeah go ahead buy a mask stay safe buy a mask get a coffee mug drink hand sanitizer out of it whatever you gotta do stay safe we, we, we don't endorse drinking hand sanitizer but we do endorse you following us on our social medias and even myself on my social media platforms, which include Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com. Yes, and I am also on Instagram and Twitter at Atom or Adam, A-T-O-M underscore A-O-R underscore, again, professional, <laughs> underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Uh, and, uh, yeah, go ahead and follow me on there. I, 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 you know, I don't do much on there. Uh, I'll share pictures of things I might have painted uh, late night, tired, bored, and uh, that's about it. They're really great paintings. I mean, it, honestly, I mean, it, maybe if you see them, you know, you fans could offer, uh, you know, a dollar redue or two to uh, to Adam here for his for his yeah, hard work. Yeah, you know? I'll sell them to you. Yeah, whatever you want. I'll, I, uh, well, you know, some beer, know. you know, anything, you know. No, no, well. That's what the money will go for. Don't send me here. <laughs> there needs to be a middle ground here. <laughs> yeah, come on. Well, and you know, and, but you can follow Adam, you know, because like unlike some other people, Adam and I and Tori are on Twitter. Yeah, we're not permanently banned. No, we're not permanently banned. <laughs> like certain high-profile politicians. Uh, yep. Topical. You know when this episode was recorded. Hey. <laughs> for more of our unfiltered brilliance you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and other podcasting platforms out there and if you're listening on the eso network why not dig into uh, the other great shows or go into our Podbean feed uh for the archive for several episodes we did even before we joined the eso network and nothing else if you can buy our merch or become a patron we would appreciate you just for free 
rating, reviewing, or sharing the show around to give us more visibility and more potential listeners. Yeah, man. And you know what? Even if you don't want to leave a fucking electronic paper trail, use word of mouth. Good old-fashioned word of mouth. Tell your friends. Have you heard about that uh, double-edged double bill? It's the real bee's knees. Yeah, also share it, though. Share it so we can see that you're doing it. <laughs> yes, we would appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, yeah we want to see it. Or else but... fuck you, you're a liar. <laughs> but now, Adam, it's time to do our picking for next week's episode. And it's an interesting topic that you actually suggested. Uh, you know, the informant... Sorry, the informant had a lot of... Uh, yeah, big... The informant! The informant had a lot of uh, stand-up comedians in the cast, and uh, we decided to kind of continue that line going with uh, we're doing stand-up comedian movie vehicles. So uh, movies designed to promote certain uh, stand-up types that are coming up in the world, which is an interesting topic. I wouldn't have figured. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of fascinated me, or even not necessarily that we're designed for them to come up in the world, but you might see a stand-up that just pops up in this weird movie, and you're really surprised at how... You know, potentially either A, how good they can be as an actor, or B, how awful it can go, too. Right, hence perfect for our show, because uh, you have two good movies we could potentially get one of as a good pick. I have the same for my two bad choices. And we've each assigned numbers between 1 and 10 for them, and usually we would uh, pick a number between 1 and 10 for each other's choices, and that's what gets us close to a good and a bad. But Tori... Uh, given our being, he's our guest, gets to go ahead and do the picking with the numbers. So for Adam's two good choices, Tori, number between one. Well, uh, guys, I appreciate you for informing me of the rules. Um, so, oh, God, please kill me. Anyways, um, give, uh, <laughs> she said one to ten, uh, four. All right. At number two. I have a movie I have not seen. Uh, I've seen the trailer for. I've read some of the reviews. It sounds incredibly interesting. Uh, stars a pretty underrated uh, comedian named Nick Thune. I don't know if you guys know who that is. Uh, it's called Dave Made a Maze. Wow, I've heard of this movie. Yeah, I've never seen it either. Okay. Me neither. Cool. Interesting trailer. Sounds cool. Okay. Uh, and at number 10, I have a movie uh, starring a comedian. I do not like her. Uh, but I enjoyed the movie. I had Trainwreck with Amy Schumer. Yeah, I really like Trainwreck. And that was the movie where it was like, oh, man, Amy Schumer's going places. And she didn't quite go places. Yeah, she, yeah, she guys, I saved the podcast from having to talk about that movie. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. Fuck it's, off. It's, it's, it's not. Future. It's not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, I oh, like you know, what? Well, I don't but like well, well, <laughs> speaking of bad movies, Tori. Time for you to pick number two, one and ten for my two bad choices. All right, all right. I'm uh double my last guess. Hey, get it. It's it's eight. Okay. I'm so sorry, Adam. So at number nine, I had a movie starring a um maybe not the most beloved stand-up, and especially before he kind of got ripped weirdly in the last few uh, decades of his career. I have the carrot top vehicle chairman of the board. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. I am amazing. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Dude, I'm just going to, if I'm, if I'm on this again, I'm just going to double, just, just double my original number of guests and just keep getting these, uh, these, these amazing, uh, you know, smack together uh, combos here. <laughs> well, well, if you had depleted your choice, you would have gotten closer to number one where I had Jumpin' Jack Flash, the Whoopi Goldberg vehicle. We're good. Oh, jeez, man. What the fuck? <laughs> look, what? 
look, we're picking bad movies here. I ain't playing around with these bad movies. Those are bad fucking movies. God. (laughs) Well, on that note, everybody, uh, we hope you had an exciting time this episode, and uh, we'll end it on an exciting note of The Informant! The Informant! No. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.